Hello, and welcome to the GoDaddy Registry podcast, your regular catch up on the latest thought leadership news, opinions, and insights from the registry experts. I'm your host, James Brown, and today I'm once again joined by my colleague, Tony Kirsch, Head of Professional Services. Welcome, Tony, and thanks for joining the podcast. Thanks, JB. Great to be with you again. And of course, uh, I think this is going to be a, a podcast that our listeners are, are really going to enjoy. So on today's episode, we have coming up an interview with Deborah Atta-Finn, Head of Brand Protection at JP Morgan. Tony, can you tell us a little bit more about what we can expect? Absolutely, James. I think Deborah brings a, a unique experience to this podcast. She was originally working in a corporate registrar and then shifted in-house at JP Morgan Chase. So she's able to convey the complexities and the opportunities of a, of a brand protection role in a, in a really informative way. I think this podcast goes on a journey, which I think a lot of people will resonate with. Firstly, is a, a brand protection angle um, and what it means to support a global, a global organization the size of JP Morgan Chase. We then talk new TLDs, including their work with .chase and .jp Morgan. And we even dive into their decision to have those TLDs um, applied through the Chinese government to operate inside the firewall. And I think they're the first organization to do that with their dot brand. So that and the combination of our final discussion, which focuses around the application options for the next round and the fact that JP Morgan Chase will be considering participating and what that means for their future. All of that together, I think, is a, is a really broad po- uh, podcast with um, plenty of amazing insights for our listeners. Okay, great. Uh, well, without further ado, let's listen in on our interview with JP Morgan's Head of Brand Protection, Deborah Atafin. Over the last six or seven years, I've had the pleasure of working with a broad section of the team at JP Morgan Chase, and they're one of our amazing clients, but also undoubtedly one of the most respected and well-known financial services organisations on the planet. And what I will say is that every one of the people that I've engaged with has been incredibly smart and friendly, but also really focused on the customer um, and understanding the role that innovation plays in creating better customer experiences and engagement. So you know, I really consider JP Morgan to be right at the top when it comes to talent. Um, and my, my guest today is no exception. A big pleasure to uh, introduce JP Morgan's Head of Brand Protection, um, Deborah Adafin. Uh, Deborah, firstly, a big thank you for joining us today and welcome to the GoDaddy Registry podcast. It's my pleasure to be here, Tony. Tell us a little bit about your organisation and your role. What are you uh, responsible for? I lead the brand protection team here at JP Morgan. And for JP Morgan Brand Protection, our mission is really to protect the firm's brand and trademarks in the digital space. So for us, that becomes a few items that we need to focus on. Specifically, we focus a lot on phishing and impersonation across the web. Um, as you know, we're a global bank. And so we often see a lot of impersonation with the intent to commit fraud. And so what we try to do is to as quickly as possible and be proactive as possible in stopping that fraud and impersonation before it has any long lasting effects on our customers and ourselves. Tell us, Deb, just from, from your experience, where, where did you come from? How did you get into, into this sort of role? Sure. So I initially started out at CSC. I'm sure some of you are familiar with CSC. And that's where I was first introduced to this concept of brand protection. And it was very interesting learning about the domain space and how companies are able to protect themselves in the in digital space with domains, their trademarks, uh, you know, registration with a trademark clearinghouse. And so after being at CSC for about three years, I made the move over to JP Morgan when I you know, started posting for a role with their brand protection team. And I've been here since. And then let's let's talk about that. I mean, it's an interesting um, perspective that you've got, right? Being from the 
from the industry side as a corporate registrar and now um, being in-house, so to speak. What have you learned from that and what, is, what does digital mean when you're at JP Morgan Chase? Yeah, so that's a, that is a good question, right? Coming from that corporate registrar perspective, you see the other side of it. You see what goes into reaching out to registrars and the efforts that go into being able to have domains and be present and active in the digital space. And then being currently on the JP Morgan side, sort of being the advocate for JP Morgan in this space. And so for us, digital is means what is our posture in the online space, right? How do our customers find us easily? How do our customers continue to trust our branding and our trademarks as they see them in, on the internet? And so for us, that's what digital sort of means and how we keep our branding as pure as possible, if that makes sense. Um, we don't want our customers to be nervous or have any doubts that when they're landing on a Chase page, that this is a Chase page and that they are able to trust all the information that they see on that page. And so for us, that posture is really important in that digital space. I guess coming from industry and then moving in-house, was there something that sort of surprised you or was a, a change that you weren't expecting? Yeah, so I um, one thing I will say, it was nice to get that perspective of that the back-end work. So on while at CSE, you get to see the requests you know, for clients coming in where they're looking to register this domain and there's a launch happening. And so you get a slew of domains, but there's no connection to sort of like the DNS piece and the technical setup. Whereas on this side of the house, it's nice to see that setup. And also it's nice to see the lead up time and what actually goes into a brand launch and how that gets put together internally before the domain registration piece even plays out. And so that piece has been very nice to see from both sides of the house. Yeah, that's an incredible experience because I, I can understand what you mean. You see the domain being registered and, you know, at, at that point, you know, your work begins. But what I think what you're saying is there's an enormous amount of work that goes in behind the scenes to even get to that point. Absolutely. So, yeah, I can say, you know, we see a domain registered today, but from the JPMC perspective, it's been something that's probably been in the works for two to three years, you know? So we see the domain being registered today and we think, oh, the domain is registered. But the lead up to that final registration is a few years in the making. And a lot goes into that, right? You do marketing, branding, trademarking, doing all the searching and making sure that what that domain landscape even looks like before you settle on a name. Let's let's talk about, you know, the internal landscape. You've, you touched upon that there, the work that goes into um, making decisions around domains. But if we took at that in a more broader context, you know, in your experience managing IP, what are the sort of the major threats that you need to be aware of, not just in your day-to-day, but I guess I'm asking you a question in sort of a, a broader sense. What are the things that you've sort of, you know, that, that, that might keep you up at night? So I will say the catch-all here is going to be, we'll say impersonation, right? And I, when I say impersonation, you know, as a catch-all, I mean phishing in on the just open web, social media infringements. We get as a global bank, right? We are present in just about every continent. And so we see impersonation that takes various forms. And so we always have to be on our toes, ready, proactively, always looking to see what's what's next, what's going on. Because of the scope and how broad JP Morgan reaches, we have partnerships across the board. And so it's not just always someone creating a chase phishing page, but sometimes it's, you know, JP Morgan announces a new initiative and before the news has landed, there's a slew of new domain registrations that are ready to, you know, either commit fraud or try to 
impersonate the firm just to, again, advance their fraudulent attacks. So for us, I would say impersonation at a very broad level is the one one of our biggest threats. And even on specifically, um, social media is a big space for us in the sense that we see a lot of impersonation of the firm, of board members and the like. And again, the end goal is fraud. And so for us, impersonation that leads to fraud is very much um, the thing that I would say keeps us up at night. Can you just sort of elaborate on that a little bit? Like what are the impacts of that to the organization and I guess also to the customers? Yeah, so I think, you know, over the last, what, five, 10 years, social media has become such a key piece of our lives, right, on various platforms. So Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, uh, LinkedIn, all of those are integral pieces of people's lives nowadays. And so as a firm, we want to be able to meet our customers where our customers are. However, you know, those on the other side are also aware of that. And so they try to meet our customers where our customers are. And so for us, it's again, a matter of being as proactive as possible in seeing what that landscape looks like and understanding what actions are being taken by fraud actors in that landscape and how we can better detect those things. And again, the ultimate goal for us is our customers' trust. We want our customers to be able to trust when they see a chase page or something related to page that it's us and it's truly us and can depend on that and not feel us skeptical of anything that they see that relates to the firm. Okay. So, I mean, let's then break that down a little further, right? What, what does that mean for trademarks and in particular domains? So for us, it just it means that as we are launching new products or we have new initiatives, that it's imperative for us to make sure we have the proper domain posture. So as you know, Tony, and I'm sure folks listening, you can't buy and register every single domain, right? There, the permutations and the different variations that you could come up with for JP Morgan, JP Morgan Chase, right? And all our various trademarks and brands are you know, endless, right? Let's say. So for us, it's just a matter of making sure what do we do we have the proper posture? And for us, that proper posture means do we have the appropriate CCTLD coverage? Do we have the appropriate trademark cap coverage, right? Making sure that working with our IP legal team who handles our trademark filings, that those filings in those relevant countries are happening. And so for us, that's sort of the best way in which we are able to protect ourselves. And then in addition to making sure you have the right domain posture. There's that detection piece, which I think is very important for us in that you can't register everything. And so you register what you think is important to your brand, and then you monitor and detect everything else. And that's where we've sort of found our balance between being proactive in registration and proactive in monitoring. And that brings us to a good equilibrium. So that makes a lot of sense, Deb. I think what I'm interested in is that, you know, intellectual property protection by nature is a is a relative defensive activity. But in your day-to-day, do you see opportunities where that can become um, an offensive strategy or a, uh, an offensive, I don't mean in the sense of being rude, offensive in, the, in, in an attacking mindset, something that delivers value to the organisation? Yeah, absolutely. So I do think you're right. IP protections is by nature a defensive act, but I think there are opportunities available. So there are opportunities available, especially as the TLD world expanded, right? So with all the different extensions that are available, there's opportunity to sort of carve a space that's unique. And so for us, for when the dot brand launches came about, we saw that as an opportunity to carve out a space that's ours, that we could be offensive within, right? Using the word that you used, uh, sort of being defensive versus offensive. So for us, by registering our dot brand, 
It allows us to be more creative in our domain choices. It allows us a little bit more freedom because we are the only ones who have access to this TLD, sort of this little ecosystem that is ours. And so we don't have to be concerned about uh, type of squatters or lookalike domains, but it gives us a little bit more freedom within that space to say, you know, here is how we want to be branded in this digital space. And so for us, absolutely, the, the dot brands did allow us to have a little bit more of an offensive posture. Let's dive into the dot brand. Um, as you said, you've got dot chase and dot JP Morgan. For the, for the audience in, at home having a listen to this podcast, could you sort of elaborate a little bit, Deb, for us on, on what you've done today? So we've used them um, in a few different manners. Specifically, they've, they often tend to reroute to sort of our .com pages, but it's a way that we found to easily route traffic for our customers to our main pages. So that's the ways in which we've used them. Um, and then we've also used them in sort of shortened URL type scenarios where, you know, there are mailers going out to customers. And so we're able to use that as a way to shorten a URL and have our customers directed to our site. JP Morgan Chase um, has recently been approved by the Chinese government to, to use your top-level domains um, within China. I think you're the first uh, multinational brand to, to, to successfully um, get that license. Could you sort of tell us a little bit about the, the thinking behind that and um, sort of the plans uh, within within China for .chase and .jp Morgan? Absolutely. So, yeah, we're a global bank, right? And so as we sort of expand our footprint, it's imperative and for us, it's sort of at the core is that we need to protect our branding and trademarks. And so there is a business case to use the dot brand within China. And so in order to do that, we need to have that out loud listed and go through that process. And so we decided that it was, there was a good business case for it as we went through that process uh, and have since received our approval. For many of the, the listeners here, you'll see that um, many of the other TLDs, the, the generic TLDs or the revenue generating TLDs have, have gone through that process. But to um, successfully have .chase and .jp Morgan approved by the Chinese government is, is an amazing achievement. Deb, why do you think these dot brands are so important? So I think, you know, um, I'll sort of go back to the beginning of where I mentioned, you know, brand protection for JP Morgan uh, is about how do we ensure that we have a strong, viable, trusted brand. And so for us, that's what the dot brands represent for us. The ability to have a strong, trusted, viable brand, uh, but for our customers and even for employees, right? So we have a large employee base. And so that's sort of to us where there's no confusion, right? We often see a lot of lookalike domain spoofs. And so it's very it's a lot easier to say to our customers, look for the dot chase or look for the dot JP Morgan. And if that's if it's that's not there. And there should be nothing else after it. It's very short to the point, and it's easy for customers to sort of remember that. Versus, uh, you know, there's so many extensions now, which is a good thing, but that also opens the door for a lot more fraud and imposters and lookalike domains. And so it's a lot easier for us to tell our customers, "Here's where you should look for," and then we know that it's again our ecosystem. It's protected by us. We have access to it, and we are aware of everything that's happening within that ecosystem. And so then, again, we have that peace of mind on our end, and then our customers are able to say, yep, this is Chase. Uh, I'm able to you know, log into my bank account and go ahead. Yeah, I, I can channel the last six or seven years of, of working with, um, with your colleagues, um, Deb, and the one takeaway, if I have one, is just the intense level of focus on security. And I think to an extent that's where, as, you, as you're saying, 
over time, the ability to educate your stakeholders, both internal and external, about the benefits of .chase and .jp Morgan being trusted URLs and, and certainly ones that can't be impersonated, which is an interesting part given that we've talked about that so much in the, in the start of the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think security for us is, as I'm sure you've come to find out working with us, as truly at the core of everything. Because as a, and it's, it's a different perspective, to be honest, that I gained once I started working for a financial institution in the sense that you have to have security baked into every decision that you make. Uh, it's a little different when you are responsible for folks' finances, but also the repercussions that uh, follow in the event that someone's account were to, you know, get hacked. It's, there, you know, as you can see, the landscape around us requires, as I'm sure you're aware, there's lots of ransomware news in the uh, ransomware in the news and such. So security has to be baked into every process. And so, like you said, at the very beginning, I said impersonation is sort of the the top thing that keeps us awake. And by owning our brands, that risk is mitigated somewhat, right? We're never going to get rid of all impersonation. There will still be those who register whatever new products that we're launching in one of the more obscure extensions and attempts to impersonate us. But if we are able to slowly educate our customers and our stakeholders, that risk slowly will diminish to a certain extent where we can comfortably uh, sort of coexist. Yeah, that's a, that's a really elo- um, eloquent way of, of putting it. I, I often talk to, to our customers about the future of your digital brand's health and what that means. And for many, you know, there's been some ideas that haven't got you know, pushed through because of the security and governance requirements. And, you know, ha- having done this for a lot of different organisations around the world, I can say un questionably that the level of security and, and and focus on that within your organization is is absolutely unparalleled. But I'm interested in the synergy between digital and, and brand because if it is that dot brand has the ability to create long-term health, how do we get in your mind the and build the bridge between the future of the online health and where we are today? Yeah, so I think um I'll just touch on really quickly what the point you made earlier about the synergy between digital and brand, right? We live in an increasingly digital world. I'm considered a millennial and I don't remember the last time I walked into a physical bank, right? I do everything I do on my phone or on uh, my computer for my banking needs. And so it's very important that your digital health aligns with your branding because otherwise you have folks who never interact with your brand anywhere else outside of online in the digital space. Um, And so that needs to be a thought that needs to be in the in the background of marketing teams, product teams, as they start launching new products, but also specifically in terms of what are the steps that we need to take in order to get to that uh, future state where that there's that synergy between digital and branding. And so I think there is still a lot of consumer education that needs to be happening across the board. And this isn't specific to Chase or JP Morgan customers, but I think, especially in the US, folks are very much used to the dot-com and so there is some of that slow education that needs to be happening from all you know, various points of the industry to sort of teach folks that there, there's more than just .com and then you know, how to navigate to it. Maybe you do trial groups where you test it out, our education points to encourage users to get used to not having to end everything they put in their browser with a .com, you know, because it, it is, you just... Again, in the U.S., you go to your browser and you're just by default sort of almost trained to just put in jpmorgan.com, right? Credit cards.chase.com. But we have to slowly educate the customer to say, 
creditcards.chase, and then that's where it ends. And so there is a lot of education that needs to be happening across the board in order for customers and consumers and just the general public to just get used to the dot brands. Yeah, look, I think you're right. And we're still in a, in a, in a phase where we're still growing and adapting. But I will say that, you know, more and more we seem to see really prominent examples from really large organizations. And it's probably happening at a slower pace than what we'd like. But when we talk about long-term digital brand health, it might take the next generation of, you know, uh, to, to actually adopt this and, and have it as part of their normal culture. I think we're seeing that in new top-level domains, generally speaking, you know, more and more you're seeing, whether it's a .nyc or a .club, that sort of thing in in mainstream business. I wouldn't say that the dot brand has hit that same level of adoption, but there's no reason that that's a problem. It's just something that we need to build towards. I think that is actually a really good point you make in that it just needs to sort of take a little bit of time. But then once you hit that peak, you'll start to see that adoption accelerate exponentially, right? So yeah, we've seen an uptick in use of like dot VIP, dot NYC a lot more. And so maybe in the next generation of folks that uptick will happen at a very fast pace. And also, I think a, a good thing to call out is the number of brands that are existing right now is a far smaller subset than the rest of the other TLDs, right? So there is a large pool, let's you know for lack of a better word, to pick from. And so I think if more dot brands are adopted, eventually it'll get to that point where a dot chase is the same as a dot NYC to someone who's trying to browse to a website. But for now, that just isn't doesn't feel as natural or comfortable. No, I think that's I think that's fair. But let's just pick up on something you said there before, because I think you're, you're right, and I'd like to just pick your brain on on ICANN's next round for new TLDs. In light of that, you know, do you see that JP Morgan um, might be interested in in the next round without giving things away? And you know, if you are, what what would be the reasons behind that? Yeah, absolutely. So I think for us, there is definitely interest on our end in a few more whenever we are able to get details about the next round. There is business appetite generally. And as I mentioned, we are a global organization. And so we've acquired our two core domains, right? Let's say Chase and JP Morgan. However, there are others that we'd like to acquire. And again, for that specific purpose of sort of being defensive and proactive at the same time. And so there's absolutely interest on our end in acquiring more dot brands when the next round opens. So from your perspective, what internal discussions around that exist and what in particular would you need um, would be useful for you from, from ICANN and the community to help you with those decisions as you're moving through them? Yeah, I would say there needs to be better communication and some clarification on what that process will even look like. And I think I, I do understand ICANN has to work through its process and then we're in an interesting position where there are companies like ours and others who did go through that first round, right? And so they've successfully showed over the last you know, six plus years that they're able to manage and uh, support a dot brand successfully. For those folks, I think that path needs to be slightly different. And then understandably, for those who are just new to it, that whole infrastructure setup piece needs to happen. So I think ICANN does have a, f- a fair bit of work to get through in terms of how what's the path here, because I think the path does need to be slightly different for companies who already have a dot brand and have done so successfully and companies who are new. And I don't mean to say that the process needs to be arduous or difficult for one versus the other, but it's just an acknowledgement of the, the facts of the case, right? So 
in my mind, it doesn't seem to be productive or efficient to say, okay, we're just going to go through the same first time process. I think we have the benefit of lessons learned to say, here's how the first time went. Here are the ways in which we could improve this process. And then, oh, there is the subset of folks or these companies who have gone through this process before. What are their thoughts? What do they think that process should look like? And how can we make it so that you know, at the end of it, there is success all around? Yeah, that's interesting. I, I, one thing that became clear to me as you were speaking earlier was that the benefit of the, the generic space is that there are so many of them in comparison. They've obviously got a global registrar platform that's out there selling the name. So from a per- perspective of consumer education, if I go to um, godaddy.com, for example, and I'm looking for a domain for my blog and I can't get my .com, pretty quickly I'm going to work out that there's a .club or a .something uh, that's available for me to, to have as an alternative. That's less so in the brand world. So it feels like if we were to give the uh, an injection of positivity and momentum in the .brand space, I mean, I look at the raw numbers, Deborah, and, and, and there are 500-plus .brands that exist on the web, admittedly with maybe you know a third of them that are not necessarily being used roughly right now. But maybe the injection of positivity that comes from that is this, is this next round, having more brands using it because it's a lot to ask of, you know, of, of, in the, of organisations to be the one creating that change. As you were saying that, I just I started to think for a second that maybe the, 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 the next round from a, from a dot brand perspective is actually more important just in the sense that it adds some weight to the voice. Yeah, I, I see that point. Absolutely. I mean, I do think yeah, although some of them aren't necessarily in use, it's just a great opportunity for companies to establish their presence and create like their little section of the internet, right? So it's not closed off to anyone. It's open to everyone. It's still, you know, free and open access to the internet. But by allowing companies to create this little piece of the internet where they are able to spin up content, spin up whatever they need for their consumer base is really important uh, for the internet space. No, that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. Deb, this is perfect. I mean, I, as I said to you, I've been looking forward to this podcast for a while, but I wasn't expecting to get such you know, insight and, and, and uh, juice from you. I really, I really appreciate your time here. And I hope that, that the audience that are listening to this have, have found this beneficial. I guess one, one sort of final question, where do you see all of this going? You know, like crystal ball type thing, you know, where do you see this space in the next five to 10 years? So in the next five to 10 years, I mean, I think, as I said, I'd love to get that insight and clarity from ICANN because I think there's a lot of opportunity, right? If we think back, the internet is still fairly young. And so the dot brand space allows the internet to sort of reinvent itself in a way. And so I can see customers and uh, even companies using the dot brand space in very unique and interesting ways. And it's just a matter of having that access and the ability to do so. Um, I know that as I've mentioned, there's business appetite on our end, and you know, we're a conservative company, and even on our end, there is quite an appetite for this space. And again, like I mentioned, for stakeholders, so it's not necessarily just consumers, right? We have a large employee base, so there's that piece. We work with lots of suppliers, so there is a lot of appetite for us to sort of reimagine what JP Morgan Chase looks like in the digital space. And I suspect the same for other companies that have dot brands, right? I've seen what other companies are doing with their dot brand space. For example, I know uh, HSBC has a really interesting and unique uh, branding page that is their dot HSBC page. And it's wonderful to see how they're using their dot brand 
Um, so I would love to be have more companies have access to this space and see what other use cases are able to come up. Deb, I am eternally grateful not only for your friendship and, and support over the last few years, but also for your time and your willingness to come and join the GoDaddy Registry podcast. Thank you so much. We're very, uh, we're very appreciative. Oh, absolutely. It's a pleasure being here, Tony. So there we had an interview with JP Morgan's Deborah Atafin talking about brand protection across social media, their brand TLDs, and much, much more. Uh, what were some of the key takeaways for you, Tony? What I took from that conversation, I guess, just on reflection is that a lot has changed since 2012. And, you know, I've been really fortunate, as I mentioned, to, to work with that organisation um, since, you know, shortly after that time. And if I think about, you know, the turnover of not just people, but turnover of business products, you know, like it's a constantly evolving uh, organisation. And I think, that, you know, Deb's really open about their desire to participate in the, in, in the next round of TLDs. And I think a lot of that gives us a lens to see it, which is, um, you know, Deb's, Deb's relatively active within the ICANN community, but, you know, perhaps there are, there are other large organisations that would be more so. Hearing her perspective reinforced for me that, you know, if it's going to be 10 or so years between rounds, that's a long time a lot of changes for their organisation. So it's a good reminder for, for us and I guess for ICANN as well that, you know, TLDs need to continue to be relevant and maintain their ability to be a focus and I guess, you know, create opportunities for brands like this. If they have to wait a long time over and over again, there's a, there's a really strong possibility that they could lose interest. So, you know, that was the one thing that really jumped out to me now as I sort of think about it um, in closing with you. It's, it's, it's a real need for domains to support business interests, not the other way around. Thanks, Tony. Well, that's it for this episode. Thank you, Tony. And thank you to Deborah for giving us some valuable insights into uh, the brand protection world around the TLDs. Please subscribe so you don't miss out on future episodes. You can listen or download from all the usual podcast places such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and loads more. Don't forget to rate and leave a review. And if you want to learn more about how GoDaddy Registry can help you with your top level domain, then visit www.registry.godaddy. I hope you'll join me soon for the next episode of the GoDaddy Registry podcast. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.